and welcome again to the Strange Brew podcast. My name's Jason Barnard, and that was The Real Thing and Hang On, Never Let Go. It's because I've got The Real Thing's Chris Amu here to talk about their new album and uh, their brilliant back catalogue. Thank you so much for doing this, uh, Chris. It's much appreciated. No problem. No problem, man. Fire away. The first thing I've got to ask you is about your new single, which is part of your your new album. The new single being yeah. Hang On, Never Let Go, which is part of A Brand New Day. There seems to be a bit of a theme of hope and positivity. Is that something that you're wanting to reflect now? No, what we want to reflect in Hang On, Never Let Go is just romance and feel good sort of factor. Some of the other tracks on the album reflect that hope. Like, for instance, the song Hope on the album I wrote during lockdown. Right. And basically that was what that song, that particular song is all about. But Hang On, Never Let Go is what me and Dave termed just a sort of a good feeling, romantic soul ballad, you know, which is what we absolutely love doing. But there are tracks on the album, as you say, that do reflect the hope and the positivity that we're hoping for at the moment. You know, The different shades to the real thing. You've got, that sort of commercial romantic edge, which, as you're saying, is represented with Hang On, Never Let Go. But you've also got that sort of grittier mm-hmm. side as well, which is represented in the, the other yeah. side of the current single, which is a live version of Children of the Ghetto. And I don't know if as many people in the UK know that, but especially in the US, yeah. that is one of the tracks that, that the real thing are known for. That's true. And I'm glad you sort of brought that up, like, really, because it's really interesting. It's always been a paradox of a real thing right the way from the beginning because before we had a hit, before we had any hits, that was the type of stuff that we were actually writing. Children of the Ghetto was written during that period. And not many acts are fortunate enough to get a track like You To Me On Everything. So when we got the track, we sort of accepted it with open hands. But basically, what Eddie and I were writing were more like Children of the Ghetto, feel, Can You Feel the Force, things like that, which are more away from that commercial sort of side, you know. And it's always been, as far as Eddie and I and Dave were concerned, it's always been, apart from the hit records, it's been the main sort of highlight of our show because that is a song that, number one, it's a serious song. It tells people where we're from. It tells people about what it's like to be born in an inner city area like Toxteth. And it's something that's always been very, very close to our hearts. So more than anything else that we've ever done, Children of the Ghetto is the one that is special to our hearts. And as you say, it's been well known in America because fantastic artists like Mary J. Blythe, Philip Bailey, and even over here like Courtney Pine, there's lots of people who have covered the song. And it was in Spike Lee's movie, of course, Clockers, you know, We felt that although we're very proud of these people who have covered the song, we felt it was time that our name went on the single. And we decided to do it live because when me and Dave were talking about it, we thought that I couldn't really perform the song as well as as I would like in a studio environment. I had to have that vibe of an audience looking me in the eye when I'm singing the song. And we wanted to get that feeling across when people were listening to the song. And that's why we decided to go with the live version rather than, like all the other tracks on the album, a canned version of a studio version. 
But I'm really glad that you brought Children of the Ghetto up because it is very important to us, as are the soulful romantic ballads. They're very, very close to me as well. I love doing them. I really get a lot of enjoyment doing them ballads. And I think Hang On, Never Let Go is particularly exactly the type of ballad that I like to listen to. So we're really proud of that one, you know. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's great, you know. I'm glad you brought that up. Because obviously the real thing are known for a string of fantastic singles, but with the new album, A Brand New Day, but also with yeah. what are now revered albums uh, like Four From Eight, that actually you were an album band as well. Yeah, we see, the problem with the real thing is we came up before it was hip for black bands to sell albums. We came up at a time, especially over here, when it was, when's your next single coming from the album? It's got to be instant. You've got, you know, they didn't really know how to market us. Now, a bit later on, five years later on, maybe, when bands like Imagination and them started coming out, they had a better idea how to market a UK soul band, right? But when we were doing things like Four From Eight, it was alien. Them type of things coming from a band like us, born over here, was alien. We were the first to start doing songs like Children of the Ghetto, Liverpool Late, Stand Up Street. I felt that, number one, it was so different to Children of the Ghetto that I don't think it was appreciated when we actually first recorded it. More people are appreciating it now as their tastes have developed. More people are actually coming up to us saying, you know, that Four From Eight album. And unfortunately, you can still get the album, but not as easily as I would like. And that's why on the Brand New Day album, I decided creatively to take the LA, the trilogy, a bit further. And we put a quadrilogy, the ghetto quadrilogy on this album to sort, because we feel that now's the time that people are ready to listen to a more serious side of the real thing, along with the nice ballads and the nice uptempo things that they like, you know, which I like too. So that's why we did the quadrilogy on the new album. It's about, it's a extension of the trilogy that we did on 4 From 8. Right. The big song from the trilogy was Children of the Ghetto. Yeah. And that is the showpiece song in the quadrilogy. But what we decided to do was take people on a journey. And the journey is Daddy Dear, which is on the quadrilogy, is about a young black kid's first impression when he goes to school. And the name calling starts. Right. And he doesn't really understand what these names are that he's getting called. So he goes home and he asks his parents, well, what are these names, these funny names that are calling me? Is there something wrong with me? And then it's like that. It's like that time in life when all parents of black children have to explain to the kids, look, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just the way of the world. And the world can be cruel sometimes. And Nobody can say that that doesn't happen or it's fiction because I know. Yeah. And everybody who I know knows because that's what we went through. So that's Daddy Dear. And then we come on to God Help the Child. God Help the Child is when he's sort of grown up and he gets to that stage in life where he has to step out in the world and find a path that is either going to lead him to a successful life or a nothing type of life. And this is what every single person, not only black, who are born in an inner city, has to sometimes face to come to that crossroad. 
And what you need when you get to that point is a benefactor. And most people don't have a benefactor. The real thing had one. We had right. our manager, Tony Hall, who believed in us, put us on the right path and ensured that we became the people that we are now with the success that we've had. And it was all down to that one guy, our manager, Tony Hall. So we were fortunate to have a benefactor. And that's what God Help the Child is all about as he tries to work his way through life. And the last song, which is Frontline, Frontline is about the invisible people who live in the inner city areas, black or white. If you live in an inner city area, most of the time you are invisible because the powers that be aren't really that bothered. They just don't really consider what it's like growing up in the ghetto. There's no money put into the inner city areas or let's put it this way, the amount of money that's needed to give people who live in them areas some kind of hope that they can have a decent career and things like that. And that's the same the world over. Yeah. And all these areas are the front line and the people who are living on that front line are, are the people who are having a big say around the world now as to what is going on and what they actually want. If they don't want to see a statue, they don't have it. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. The people who live on these front lines now are saying, what they want and you can disagree with it you can agree with it but they're having the say now because of social media and things so you can say that people who are living on the front line have now got a voice and they're making that voice heard and basically that's the ghetto quadrilogy and now that everybody's split the wrists <laughs> and gone home and sort of <laughs> drowned themselves in the sorrows let's get back to hang on Never let go. Some nice sort of ballads added on the album. Sha la 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 la. Sha la 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 la. Sha la 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 la. Sha la la la
the very early days and you look back to the debut real thing single vicious circle which is classic even in these early days you were getting message across and that, that was one of your brother's songs was that before was, he joined that was before he joined yes that was when he'd started him and i had started writing but i was very in the fledgling yeah stage right but the advantage that we always had was eddie because eddie was already writing songs He'd already had a lot of songs recorded with his other group, which was a chance with a lot older than us and before us. But that's where our inspiration came, because when we looked at the chance and we looked at Eddie, Dave and I, that's all we ever wanted to do. We just wanted to be in a group. We didn't think about records. We didn't think about anything. We just wanted to get up on that stage, have a dance and sing like the Temptations, like the OJs. Other black people could do it. We could do it. We didn't want to be bricklayers, electricians. We wanted to sing on stage. The chance gave us that inspiration. 
and the knowledge that we can definitely do it. It's that simple. We can do it. Unfortunately, they weren't successful at doing it, but they forged a career and they were our inspiration. And in that time, Eddie had started working closely with me while he was with the Chants. And we'd started writing together. So if I said, well, yeah, we want that song, the real thing within the position more than the chance because they didn't have a recording contract. So the songs that Eddie was writing at that time came our way. And, you know, right from that period is when we started writing together. But um, Daddy Dear, Vicious Circle, they were sort of like Eddie's songs. I'm going to do Vicious Circle again. I'm going to redo that. I've I've redone Daddy Dear and changed it and sort of added sections to it to bring it up to date. I'm going to do the same with Vicious Circle. Not that that'll need any. I think I'll just do that as it is, but just with an up-to-date sound, because I think it's great. thing 
associated with David Essex and he played a significant role. Oh, yeah. And kind of in parallel to the band releasing singles, you're also backing him up and you can really hear the band quite pushed forward in, in, you know, hits like Rolling Stone, very up front. Absolutely, yeah. You know, David Essex, that's another guy who, without him and Jeff Wayne, we would never have made it because you've got to understand when You To Me came out, we had a ready-made audience. We had already been on top of the pops and that with David Essex, singing yeah. Rolling Stone and things, nightclub, things like that. We'd been on tour with David Essex to America, all over England, a few times. So when You To Me came out, we already had that ready market that we're going to snap it up straight away. So, yes. You played with some of the, the hottest musicians when you went over to America with David, didn't you? Yes, we did. We played with Miles Davis's drummer. We've worked with Miles Davis as percussionist, M2 May. M2 May and Lucas, who produced Roberta Flack and Donny Hathaway, we've worked with them. And one of the greatest moments was when the George Duke Stanley Clark project came over. And Philip Bailey was a guest in, and he'd recorded Children of the Ghetto at that time. And we were invited. It was in Manchester, the Apollo. And me and Eddie were sat in the audience, and he went into Children of the Ghetto. And you know what it's like to have George Duke, Stanley Clark, and people like that playing your song that you'd written. And a superlative singer like Philip Bailey out in front singing it. And the audience giving it a standing ovation. That was a standout moment creatively. That was great.
Another interesting thing was, well, the group used to do a lot of jingles as well for Jeff Wayne. Oh, right. And I used to do a lot of jingles as well. Like I sung the uh, Cadbury's Dairy Milk, Wrigley Spearmint Gum, Long Life Lager, Midland Bank. I did all the vocal on them tracks. I was quite taken aback when Tony, this is before we got you to me. Yeah. It was actually about a couple of weeks before we were looking for that commercial single. And... We were working in Gulliver's in, what was it, Speakeasy? One of them, anyway, Gulliver's was one of them, in London. And Tony invited these, I won't name them, prolific songwriters who were writing hit songs for the odd black acts at the time to come and see us. And they came. And the next day, they phoned Tony and says, we're sorry, but we're not interested because we don't think they've got a lead singer. And I'm sort of thinking to myself, but I'm doing all these lead vocals on Cadbury's Dairy Milk, Wrigley Spearman Gum. And all them. Anyway, about a week later, Ken Gold, out of the blue, walked into the office, as songwriters used to do then, and played these songs to Tony. I happened to be in the office, and we heard You To Me Are Everything, and we both thought, yeah, that is a really good song. And we had it signed, sealed, delivered before he'd gone out of the office. And that's how You To Me come about. Oh, and another thing, the bloody guy from 10CC as well, who I do like, and we've had... Graham. Yeah, um, yeah, we've had a laugh with him since. He reviewed it on, there used to be a radio show called Roscoe's Round Table. And they used to play five tracks. And they had a famous person on to say what they thought of the tracks and if they thought they were going to be hits. We were working with David Essex in Earl's Court that day. I always remember we were doing the circus tour. And he said, the lead singer sounds as if he's got a frog in his throat. He didn't think it'd be a hit. And he said the lead singer sounded as though he had a frog in his throat. Three weeks later, it was number one. Yeah. So it just shows you, doesn't it? You know, people don't know what soul is, do they? Because the frog in the throat is soul. Absolutely. And it, yeah, it just adds that little edge. And it was the anthem of, of, of the summer, wasn't it? Was it 76? Yeah, yeah. He was talking about the, you're the sweetest song that I can sing, you know, at the end, which was a great crescendo to the song. But if you weren't into soul, you couldn't get it, could you? You know, it was like, well, what's that? Because they used to, I'm not in love, so don't forget it. You know, lovely song and everything else, but it's not raunchy. So I ain't knocking that because I think it was a fantastic song. But I would like it if they would, as musicians, sometime sit back and get a little bit of soul into the bodies. Go and listen to the OJs and people like that and Luther. And people like that and listen to how you end the song with an ad lib it's called Some other way to make you see 
If it takes my heart and soul, you know I'd pay the price. Everything that I possess, I'd gladly sacrifice. Oh, you to me are everything, the sweetest song that I could sing. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. To you, I guess I'm just a clown who picks you up each time you down. Oh, change of heart If it takes forever girl, then I'm prepared to wait. The day you give your love to me won't be a day too late As well as David Essex, you mentioned earlier about Jeff Wayne and had a huge role with you and the band. And it's only in recent years that some of those original versions of War of the World songs have actually come out. Yeah. It must be kind of bittersweet in terms of how that turns out, because when you're here, Forever Autumn, your version of that, yeah. it holds up. Yeah. Modern holds up. Absolutely. Look. It's just the way things go. At the time, we were having a lot of hits. We were having you to make it. Was, it was happening at exactly the same time. The company wanted something that, because nobody knew how War of the Worlds was going to turn out, right? Basically, what they should have just said was, well, look, we'll just have a, don't worry about the money, we'll just have a cut. But I think there was a lot of politics going on, and that's why we yeah. ended up not getting it, because I can't believe that it was a demo. It sounds too good to be a demo, and we put too much work into it to be a demo. But that's what Jeff said, you know, blah, blah, blah. So that's the way it is. But um, yeah, um, you can still hear all our versions on the album, which I hadn't heard for oh, 30, 30 years when it came out. And it was a buzz listening to them, actually. I played them to our sound tech when we were travelling to a gig and he couldn't believe it. I mean, it was really sort of knocked out and I'm listening and I'm going, 
Actually, it doesn't sound that bad, actually. You know, sounds as good as Justin's. I've read that it was record company politics in terms of labels was the, yeah. the thing that was preventing it yeah. rather than your performance. Oh, it, wasn't, it definitely wasn't the performance because I used to do everything with Jeff. You know, we used to do, honestly, I mean, most of Jeff's adverts, I saw the commercials that he used to write, most of David's stuff we did. So it certainly wasn't our performance. And you know, we can hear the performance. Yeah. You can hear the performance. The summer sun is fading as the year grows old. The darker days are drawing near. The winter winds will be much colder. Now you're not here. South across the autumn sky And one by one they disappear I wish that I was flying with them Now you're not here Like the sun through the trees you came to Like a leaf on a breeze, you blew away. Lonely tear 
My life will be forever awesome Cause you're not here Cause you're not here Cause you're not that partnership with Ken Gold was deepening, mm-hmm. you know, he was involved in the studio. There's also the follow-up, Can't Get By Without You, which continued Magic. success. Magic. And don't forget Can You Feel the Force, which, although we wrote it, he produced it. Yeah. So we had magic raining through my sunshine. Oh. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And the Step Into My, the Feel the Force album, um, and there's a song called Won't You Step Into My World on that album. And it is the most gorgeous vocal song that we ever put down. Whenever we worked with Ken Gold, it was magical. Once again, politics took us away. American politics took us away from him. And it's the worst thing that we ever did. Yeah. Worst thing we ever did. But those years in the sort of mid to late 70s, from humble roots in, in Toxturf to superstardom, limos, money, it must have been a dream come true in a way. It was a dream come true, but we never had the limos. And all that, honestly, right, okay. <laughs> we really didn't. Our manager kept our feet pretty much on the ground. Yes, of course, you're treated differently. When you go into a record company, you're treated with a lot of respect. You do press day in, day out. You do radio. You can get all the TV programs because you're hot. But you have to keep your feet on the ground and you have to always realise that there's a time span yeah. for most bands. I'm talking about on a huge success you know what that time span is? The young generation that buy records, you're normally going from about, I would say, 15, yeah. 16, to about when you're growing up, when you're about 21. So you normally, if you look at a lot of bands, especially in our genre, you've got a five-year lifespan. And you know what it is? When you're into black music, soul music, it's a natural progression that you go from what is hip to dance to? Because it's all dance-orientated at first. Yeah. So when you're in the clubs, what's the latest dance? Yeah? What's the latest dance? And the singles signify that latest dance. And then when that group goes, another dance comes out and you get another group coming in who's the flavour, right? Yeah. And this goes on and it's progressing for about five years. And then when you get to about, starting to get to about 20, 21, you're starting to listen to more, like, shall we say, you're going from, say, the OJs and the Temptations to, like, Sly and the Family Stone Mm. and War. You're getting into the more sophisticated thing. And because you're starting to listen to them, you're getting a little bit of the jazz funk element coming in. And all of a sudden, it's not hip to be going to the clubs and dancing to the OJs. You're more cool. Mm. You're more into getting into the sort of the laid back sort of jazz funk and things, which is what I still love now. And that's the progression that doesn't happen in rock music. It just doesn't happen in rock music. You're playing the same rock music when you are 50 as what you were playing when you were 19, 20. The only thing that differs is the sound is better. The sound of your albums that improve and creatively you get better and you get more proficient at playing your instruments. But your rock and roll and your rock is still the same. Black music bears no resemblance to the 70s to now. Bears no resemblance whatsoever. 
And that's why a lot of black bands don't necessarily last over a five-year period. You look at the Ohio players, all the Earth, Wind & Fire, all the good five, six years. It's only acts like Stevie Wonder and people like that that cross over into that. It transcends yeah. styles. I like to think that because we had the guts to not say to the writers, Ken and Mickey Den, you keep writing the songs for us, we'll keep doing them. Because we could have had a hell of a lot more hits yeah. if we'd have done what they were writing. But we didn't. But you could still, can you feel the force? That's as good in terms of the, yeah, but the and that's reason, one of your own. Yeah, but the only reason that we wrote, were able to write Can You Feel the Force and Raining Through My Sunshine is because releasing You Never Know What You're Missing, we wrote, and it became a hit. Not as big as Kong you to me, it was a hit. Yeah. That taught me that you can write a hit song. So we weren't totally reliant on other people. And that gave us the confidence to go on and write things like Raining Through My Sunshine, Can You Feel the Force, things like that, you know? And I think, I like to think, that's why we're still here now. And people are still talking about not only you to me and things, but children of the ghetto. And can you feel the force? Sometimes you've got to be brave. You might not have a run of 10 big hits that all sound the same. And then you are finished then because you ain't going nowhere. From that, that's what you do. That's what people want. That's what you're known for. And that's it. Once them writers dry up, there's no way me and Eddie are writing you to me. So there's no way we can carry on, basically. And, um, you know, I like to think that we were beneficial to each other because Ken loved producing the Force album, where he only had two tracks on it, but he loved producing the album because, as he said, he's learned. It was the first time that he'd used our band, our musicians, in the studio. We went into a studio in London. We rehearsed for a week. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And when we got into the studio, that's when Can You Feel the Force, second stage, raining through my sunshine. And it was a great party in all answer. Really proud of that.
it seems almost every single decade a real thing get a period in the spotlight and yes in the 80s and and even up to recent years yeah with the documentary absolutely sadly eddie wasn't around to see that but he was around for previous yeah. successes and yeah. documentary and he's still available yeah. and, and people are still watching it and yeah. maybe for the younger generations they can see that you were the first black mm. british band that, to have yes. a number one and be the pioneers absolutely We've been tremendously lucky, you know, because of the type of band that we are. And I think, once again, it's because we've been brave and not just being a formulated band. A lot of people have believed in us in life. Simon Sheridan, who directed the film, what a guy. I mean, that guy came to us with an idea that he believed in us. He believed that we had a story to be told. And the end result was that film. Once again, there's another person who believed in us. Because of that, a whole new audience started, who knew the songs, but not the real thing, you know, the younger audience. Suddenly they started listening. I remember the fourth or eighth album at one point came back in, number three in the charts. Wow. It never got anywhere near that when it was out. It was number three in the charts at the time of the film. Well, it stayed there a couple of weeks. That's not the point. The point is it got there. And that's because yeah. a lot of people who weren't aware of it before all of a sudden wanted it because of the film even in recent years some of the new collections there's been a, a few that's been available mm-hmm. the unearthing of um the real things version of someone ought to write a song which would have been one of the those classic ken gold yeah. singles and, and people are hearing that now it, that was a reject of the real thing now this is what what i say to you when i say that sometimes you've got to be brave right because we've done you to me and then ken brought a few songs in can't get by was one. Someone who to write a song with was another. There was another one, nice song, Lady I Love You All the Time, which is on the fourth album. That was another one. So there's three, you know, pretty good songs. I insisted that we were doing Can't Get By Without You because I think it's a fantastic song. Yeah. Right? The obvious thing to do after Can't Get By would have been someone who to write a song. That would have been the natural follow. And our manager said, well, what do you want to do? And we said, well, I'm not fussy on it. I'd rather do something different. And that's why we released the ballad, You Never Know What You're Missing. And I was a little bit put out, if you want me to be totally honest with you, when the film was out and they decided to go with someone else to write a song as a single that was going to sell the best of album. I just felt that why pick something that's 45 years old for now? Because as pleasant as it sounds, I was made up at the time, don't get me wrong, because I think it was a nice, pleasant single, you know. But I just wish that we'd had this album together. Because I reckon, in fact, I'm positive that if we'd have taken a track from this album, if we'd have had this album then, and they didn't have to put a best of album out, I reckon that this album would have been mega. And the reason I say that is because although the best of album was great, a lot of people have already got you to me several times. Can't get by. Can you feel the force? And no matter how it's packaged, they've got them. Whereas imagine if they could have got the new version of Children of the Ghetto. Daddy dear, hang on, never let go. Hope. But we didn't have it at the time. We hadn't started writing it at the time. So they had to go with. It was an idea, a good idea, that they went with something that nobody had heard before. And that's why they went with someone else to write a song. But I think it would have been huge if we'd have got TV on it. Yeah. 
But although we did a lot of televisions, the song that they always wanted us to sing, <laughs> and Car Get By. So we did a lot of good television around the time of the best of coming out and the film. Some really big TV shows, but it was all you to me, Car Get By, with a little mention of someone else who writes a song. The real thing are known as probably the hardest working band in music. And, you know, and if it wasn't for the pandemic, you'd have played hundreds of dates, but you've yeah. got in support of the new album as well, Brand New Day, you've got a huge tour being planned. The fans must be looking forward to it. You must be looking forward to it. We are. Like you say, we missed out on all that lovely publicity we had with the film where people would have really wanted to see us, you know. And two years is a long time. Yeah. Two years is a long time. And the situation that people are in has changed financially. The situation's changed and um, the people are frightened more now to go to gatherings. But we're hoping now that this year, now that we can see a bit of light yeah. at the end of the tunnel, that things will start to get back to normal, hence a brand new day from the album. We've certainly got a lot planned. And hopefully, if it all comes together, it should be super. We've also planning, hoping that the film is going to be uh, reissued to showcase cinemas so I can continue to go around the cinemas. Uh, Dave and I, sorry, I keep on saying me, but whenever I say me, <laughs> it is Dave and I. It's you and know. Dave. And we can go around doing our question and answers after the film has been seen and getting it to a, a much broader, wider audience, you know. So that's another exciting thing that we've got planned for this year. So it's going to be a full-on year, hopefully, touch wood, which we're all looking forward to. What a pleasure it is to talk to you, Chris. And it's fantastic to talk about new music, old music, and as you're saying, touch wood 2022. Thankfully, COVID's going down. We're all getting jabbed yeah. up. We'll be able to sort of go out and see you guys great. live and, and get the album. Yeah, that'll be great. And to finish, can I just say yeah. thank you. It's been a really interesting interview that I've really enjoyed. And I mean that. It's been a really nice interview. And you've done your homework on the band, which a lot of people don't do when you're doing interviews. A lot of them are about you to me and things, and you don't want to go into depth. You take care, man. Been a real pleasure. Thanks a lot. True.
thank you for listening to the Strange Brew podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.